So a couple weeks ago, uh, Mark actually told me, he said, did you see this interview between Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper? Did anybody see this interview? It's really powerful. I don't know if it's on 60 Minutes or CNN. If you haven't seen it, uh, just look it up on YouTube. It's fantastic. Uh, Because both of them have dealt with significant loss in their life. And Anderson Cooper, in the interview, just kind of drops his guard toward uh, how an interviewer ought to interview. And it becomes very real and conversational right there on television. And he begins to just get super emotional around the loss of their parents. Uh, And both of them sort of tragically lost parents. And it becomes very moving. And Stephen Colbert, we went back and watched it again this week, Natalie and I. And Stephen Colbert says something that's really incredible. Stephen Colbert's dad and two of his brothers uh, were killed in a uh, plane accident when he was 10 years old. And so he says, my life was marked, in my life and in my thinking and my memory, my life is marked as before the plane crash and after the plane crash. And And there's just something that's very true about that. There are moments in my life that are marked by what happened before and then everything after. I think for those who remember it, like September 11th became that for for us as a society. We never flew planes again the same. We never looked at skylines again the same. Everything changed for us as a culture. And that happens to us as individuals as well. Now I want to contrast that with my nephew. So I've got a nephew, Hunter, who uh, every year on February the 12th, we celebrate what we call Gotcha Day. Now Gotcha Day was the day that Hunter was adopted. And we got a phone call, we were living in South Carolina, and my brother and his wife called and said, we're adopting uh, tomorrow, we just got the call, can you get down here and be with us when you become an uncle and an aunt? And we said, absolutely, we'll be down there. And so that was the day that Hunter, he was an infant, I've still got the pictures, I love it. Uh, That was the day that Hunter, Joshua, got a new family, and he got a new destiny, and he got, a, he got new resources, and he got new possibilities. And, uh, man, that kid is crazy. He is wide open. But I, I love thinking about how his life is different because my brother and sister-in-law adopted him into their family, and they celebrate that gotcha day. So on gotcha day, Hunter gets to eat and drink whatever he wants. It's, gotcha day is bigger than Hunter's birthday. Uh, because that was the day, not that he was born, but his story changed. On Gotcha Day, they do fun things, they feast, and on Gotcha Day, they always retell the story of what happened on February the 12th. And they say, Hunter, now on February the 12th, you were this, and you became this, and you were, this was your, going to be your story, and this became your story, and everything changed for Hunter on that day. So what about you? Like, do you have a gotcha day where your story totally changed for the good? Or do you have days in your story where everything kind of fell apart? Maybe it was a death, or maybe it was where sadness occurred. Maybe it was where things were broken uh, in your life. I would venture to say that we probably have both. Like, I have gotcha days that are amazing, where, like, April 3rd, 2004... May 29th, 2009, March 1st, 2012, my story changed. I have gotcha days that are heartbroken. I can't tell you the exact day. I can tell you when things went down really bad between my mom and dad. I can tell you distinctly the day and time. I can tell you the day of the week. I can tell you exactly where I was standing when my stepmom called me and told me that my dad had passed away. I can remember 
my son being born in the evening on May 29th and then waking up the next morning to hear that my granddad, who had led me to faith in Christ, had died in the middle of the night on May 30th. It was like the gotcha day of the good of like, yes, life's amazing. And then the hard of, man, but we live in a broken world and everything is not exactly as God wanted. The truth is these are both part of our humanity. Just because we follow God doesn't mean we're immune from bad stuff. And just because somebody doesn't follow God doesn't mean that they're not blessed and they'll have like this really baller life. Like that the, the sun shines on the good and the bad, the rain falls on the good and the bad. That's just part of our humanity, and we have to remember that. And, uh, but I want us to talk today for a little bit about sort of that contrast. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to jump into these passages of Scripture. God, I thank you for... Uh, I thank you, first of all, God, that you're here by your Spirit. I pray that you would speak to us, where, whether uh, from the oldest in the room to the youngest in the room, speak to us today. I pray that we're ready to hear what you have to say to us. And, uh, and God, I'd I, I look at us as I even talk about these days in my life, these sort of gotcha, amazing days. And I think about those, the day I, uh, the day I was born again, the day I married Natalie, the day that both my boys were born. These amazing days. I think about the sad, hard days where someone died, where we experienced brokenness, where things kind of felt like they were falling apart. I thank you, God, that in all of those you were with me. I thank you that you will take the sad and the broken things and you will make them untrue ultimately. And yet, in the, in the meantime, we live where rain falls on the good and the bad and sun shines on the good and the bad. And I pray today as we talk about this sort of old Adam, this old part of our story, and if we're Christians, the new Adam and the new part of our story, I pray that we would hear from you and that you would speak very clearly to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Paul wrote letters to all these New Testament churches that he started around the strategic cities in the Roman Empire. And uh, in doing that, he had some themes that constantly come up in a lot of his letters, like the armor of God comes up in a lot of his letters, what love looks like comes up a lot in his letters, how we're to serve one another, spiritual giftedness, these come up a lot in his letters. And another thing that comes up in two of his letters is this idea that there's an old Adam and a new Adam. And we're going to see those two, those two passages in, uh, in his letters to two churches where he talks about this. Now, the first one we're going to look at is uh, to a church in the city called Corinth, uh, which was probably the second or third, one of the more strategic cities in the Roman Empire. And Corinth was wild. Like if ever there's a dysfunctional church, it's a church at Corinth. They're serving wine on the communion table, and the rich people are getting to church early, and they're eating all the bread and drinking all the wine, uh, not remembering Jesus, but just having a feast. And Paul's like, you know what? When you come to church, it's probably good if you don't get drunk on the communion wine. (laughs) Or if you are, at least involve the poor people in it. Like, there's one guy who's literally sleeping with his stepmom, and Paul's like, you know what? Probably the best if you don't sleep with your dad's wife. And, uh, and then they're condoning it. And he's like, you guys are high-fiving this guy at church. What's wrong with you? And he's writing them a harsh letter. And so by the time you get to 1 Corinthians 15, he's really talking theologically about how their faith and life is going to play out in everyday life. And he's talking about this contrast between the old Adam and the new Adam. Now, he does it again in the book of Romans a letter to the church at Rome, and he's saying a lot of the same things. He's saying there's this old Adam and new Adam. And what does he mean by that? Really quick, before we even read the passage. There's the old Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam in the garden. 
We talked about the old Adam on the very first Sunday of this Image is Everything series. The old Adam was made in the image of God. But the old Adam, the original Adam, the first Adam, who was sinless, created sinlessly, made from dust, chose to sin. And what did he do? Did he kill someone? Nope. Did he steal somebody something? Nope. He ate a piece of fruit. But God had said, don't eat the piece of fruit. And he chose to eat the piece of fruit. And in doing so, he became a sinner. It's not just that he sinned. His identity changed and he became a sinner. And he had to begin to deal with death and judgment and had to live under what God called the curse. And everybody who came after him would then have to live under the curse because we're children of Adam. We live under this curse. And within one generation, his son Cain kills his other son Abel. And so you see this guy has deviated and his family deviates and we all deviate so far from the plan that what starts with don't eat that piece of fruit becomes, you mean to tell me you just killed your brother? And then within six chapters in the book of Genesis, all hell breaks loose. And God has to scatter everybody and then ultimately destroy the earth through a flood because it gets so chaotic because we're under this curse of the old Adam. But then God, having a plan from the very beginning, sends a new Adam. And Paul calls this new, he calls Jesus this new Adam. That's his phrase for Jesus. And the new Adam uh, is God with skin on. We talked about Jesus last week as God with skin on. God, the image of the invisible, or God, the, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. And Jesus dies on the cross to give life to his children. See, Adam, by the curse of sin, sees death comes to his, come to his kids. But Jesus brings life to his kids, and he's a curse breaker. And, uh, and so Paul is going to contrast these two Adams. Now let's look at, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read, I think, seven verses. I'll split them up a little bit. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 21. Now, and then we're going to skip, by the way, over to verse 45 of the same chapter before we go to Romans 5. 1 Corinthians 15, start in verse 21. For as by a man, the first Adam, came death, by a man, Jesus, the second Adam, has come also resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. In other words, Christ, Jesus, the new Adam, is ushering in a new kingdom. He's the first fruit, and we will follow after him and becoming all that God intends for us to be. Now skip over to verse 45. I think on the paper Bible it's on the same page. It says, Thus it is written, the first Adam became a, a life, or excuse me, the first Adam became a living being. The Bible said Adam was made from the dust. So we're all these like divine dirt clods, like God literally made us out of dirt, like I used to make mud pies, right? And then he breathed his life into humanity. The first Adam was a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. We'll talk about that sentence in just a moment. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. It's not that Jesus was an angel or a weird spirit. Jesus was skin and bone, just like you and I, flesh and blood. But he came, the Bible says, from heaven. He says that about himself. 
as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. In other words, what happened to Adam? Life, sin, curse, death, that happens to all of us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Those who are part of the family of the second Adam, Jesus, have all the rights and privileges that he had. And then in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we, he's writing to the church, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there's two images fighting, the image of the man of dust, Adam, the first Adam, image of the man of heaven, the second Adam, Jesus. Now flip back over to Romans 5. In the paper Bible, it's page 549 or page 1043, depending on if you have large print or small. Let me read to us uh, six verses, starting in 15. Same, same idea of the old Adam and the new Adam. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's ma- one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In other words, Adam gave us a curse, and he gave us this much, and Jesus gives us life and freedom. And he gives us more than we could ever even contain. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Big church words. We're going to talk about them in a minute. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. I'm in this last verse. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. All right. Kind of heavy, but I want to contrast them really quickly. That's about as deep as we're ever going to get in Bible verses here at Christ Church Charlestown. But let me share with you, I think, five things that we see here between the old Adam and the new Adam. Scott, if you'll go through these one by one. The old Adam broke the system. The new Adam, Jesus, restored what was broken. God wasn't surprised that Adam and Eve sinned. But God created everything perfect. It was good, good. He looked at creation, the Hebrew says, because there's no word for very. So God looked at everything he made and he said it was good, good. It was perfectly good. But then Adam and Eve, in deciding to eat a piece of fruit, broke God's plan and chaos and anarchy of sin began to enter into the world. The old Adam broke things. But the new Adam restored things. By the way, if you're new here, those are motion-censored lights. So when they begin to go off, we're not going to run out of power. Just sort of wave your arms and it won't happen over us here, right? Um, The old Adam brought in sin. The new Adam, Jesus, brings in freedom. That's different. That's different, right? The second thing that happens according to these verses. The old Adam brings death. I don't know, I've had this argument with people before, I don't know if Adam and Eve sinned if people would have ever died. Death seems to have been a consequence of sin and brokenness. At the very least, theologically, I know this. You know how, you know how when you get a call that someone's died who you love or who you care about, and it feels like it's sort of like 
as a weight falling on your chest, you know what I mean? And it stings. You know how it stings? Had Adam never sinned, at least death wouldn't have had that sting. Because the Bible says that Jesus takes away the sting of death. The old Adam brought death. The new Adam, Jesus, brought life. I remember hearing this phrase. It's really, really true. You have two choices in life regarding life and death. The first one is to be born once and you will die twice. The second choice is to be born twice and you will die once. In other words, the old Adam lives under the first system where we're born once, we're physically born of our mothers, right? And then we die twice. If we spend our whole life rejecting God in Christ and we say, I don't want to believe that, I have time for that, I'm going to put that off, and then our number comes up and we're done, the Bible says we die twice. We die physically, they put us in the ground, and then we die spiritually and we spend eternity away from God. Or uh, the Bible word for that is hell. My child calls it the upside down. He's, uh, he's heard enough about stranger things that Owen uh, thinks hell is a curse word. So in our house, hell is called the upside down. And uh, occasionally, uh, Owen will go, Dad, Mom, is so-and-so going to the upside down? And I'm like, buddy, I don't know. Like, only God knows their heart, but it's awesome that you call hell the upside down. Like, right? Like, if, we were born, if we're born once and we spend our whole life saying no to Jesus, no to God, uh, then the Bible says we die twice. We die physically and we die spiritually and spend eternity separated from God. But the other choice there is we can be born twice. And Jesus talks about this in John 3. And in John 3, he says that you're born physically uh, of, of water, he says, meaning you're physically born. like, um, And then he says, and then you're born of the wind. You're born spiritually. God sort of breathes his life onto us and we're born again so we can be born once and die twice or we can be born twice born and born again and then we only die once I love I'm going to talk about the Narnia books in a minute I've been reading those this summer because I love them they're so good at the very end of the Narnia books uh, it refers to death as essentially it refers to life as just a, a dream and then when we wake up in eternity, that's the real life. And all of this will have seemed like it was only a dream. What a beautiful image uh, for the Christian that we can be born twice and die once. The third contrast, the third slide up there, Scott, is that the old Adam moved, uh, went from dust. He came from dust and went to dust, Paul says. From dust to dust, bringing others down with him. Now, I had a brother, we liked to fight. We fought until the day he beat me. He was my younger brother. And finally, like, he got close enough to my height and age that he beat me. I'll never forget the day. It was in our backyard. And uh, he beat me. And for the first time, every, every time up to that point, I'd always put him on the ground and beat him down. And when we got up, he would be the one that was dusty. But on that day, we rolled around in the dust for the first time. And he beat me. He pinned me. And I was like, man, it's a new day. I got to make an ally. We have been enemy countries, and now we're going to have to fight, create a pact and be on the same team from now until Jesus comes back, right? On that day, when I went down with my brother, I came up with dust from the fight. And the Bible says that the old Adam, you go down in the dust with him. You go down to death, dust to dust. He brings us, Adam brings us down with him uh, to death and to hell apart from the new Adam. But the new Adam 
it says, came down from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. And we can then go up to heaven with him at the end of this life and have abundant and eternal life in Jesus. And this has made the way for peace with God in heaven. And then the fourth contrast, there's two more. The old Adam brings guilt. We are sinners by DNA. You ever do something and get caught? I, I got a speeding ticket one time that was so bad that I lost my license for six months. And it happened in the county where my grandfather was a police officer for most of his life. Well, I didn't want to tell him. And I finally went over, my mom says, now you got to go tell your dad because tomorrow you got to go before a judge. And that judge was your grandfather's best friend. And so I went and I told my granddad, I said, uh, I called him Papa. I said, Papa, I've gotten a ticket and tomorrow I've got to go to court and, um, and I'm going to lose my license. And, uh, and I remember in that moment, like he wasn't ashamed of me. He actually said, why didn't you tell me this three months ago? I could have gotten the ticket taken away. And that's one of those moments, like it's real bad. <laughs> Renee's laughing at me. But I remember when my mom told me I had to go see my granddad you could have, a thousand pound weight on my chest would have felt easier than the knowledge I had to go tell him. Just that, boom, right? We are sinners by DNA. We feel the weight of that. There's moments in our life where we sin against God and we feel the weight of it. I never had to teach my children to do bad. That was intuitive. I'm training them how to do well. Your kids are angels. They're good kids. I promise you, you've never had to teach them to do anything bad. Not that they ever do anything bad. That's intuitive to children to be bad. Because of the old Adam. The old Adam, we get, because of him, by DNA, we are sinners. And by the old Adam, we get this guilt uh, that comes. But the new Adam brings forgiveness and righteousness. Jesus brings forgiveness. And then the fifth thing that happens here, the old Adam brought condemnation. So that day in court, I had two charges against me. I'm letting you know a lot about me. One charge was I was speeding like a madman. The other charge they tried to get me on was evasion. And that one was not true. And we went into court that day and the judge says, okay, on the, to, the, you know, to the crime of speeding, how do you plead? I knew I was busted on that one. So I said, guilty, Your Honor. I plead guilty. That's what the new Adam does, right? In the courtroom before God, God says, how do you plead to the idea of sin? And we have to say, I'm guilty. It was in my DNA. There's things that my parents did that I do. It's my choice. It's not their fault that I sin. I choose to sin. I am guilty, God, before you. The old Adam brought condemnation, a guilty verdict. But the new Adam, and and we're going to do an object lesson here. The new Adam brings justification, it said. Now, I'm going to tell you what justification is. It's a legal term, all right? Uh, Wayne, I just met Wayne, but Wayne is going to be God in the illustration I'm about to do. Is that all right? Yeah, great. He's like, sounds fantastic, right? And Mark, for a moment, you are going to be Jesus. And I'm going to show you what justification is. If you've been here before, you've probably seen this, but we need to do this at least once every six months as a church. Here's what the new Adam brings, what says justification. Now, when Wayne, who is God, looks at me, JD, the old Adam, the sinner, he will see my sin. Okay? And if you were to stand before God, he would see your sin. 
But Jesus, all right, come stand between Wayne and I. What would ju- yeah, that's great. But what justification means when the Bible says that Jesus, I'm justified by Jesus in a legal sense. Now, when God the judge looks at me, the sinner, he declares, he, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus and Jesus' sinlessness and Jesus' death to pay for my sin. So when Wayne now looks at me, he can't see my sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness and Wayne, God, says, not guilty. Not guilty. That is a consequence of a new Adam. Great job. You're an amazing Jesus. You crushed that. Wayne, you're an amazing God. That was, yeah, you guys crushed that. Amazing. The old Adam brought guilty verdicts. God looks at us and he sees our sin. We commit sin. We omit to do good. We're sinners by DNA. We're sinners by choice. He looks and he only sees sin and guilt. The new Adam, Jesus, stands between us and God. And we are justified. We are legally declared not guilty. So a couple of things happen because of those five realities. Everybody in this room, whether you've been to church a thousand times, Scott, there's no slide for this yet. Whether you've been to church a thousand times or today's your first time ever, everyone in this room is each a son or daughter of at least one Adam. Every one of us is the son or the daughter of at least one Adam. Uh, There's a theologian who said, no one can help being born in Adam. Every human being bears the guilt of Adam as a result of their first birth. But everyone can help staying in Adam. By virtue of the second birth, being born again, placing faith in Jesus Christ, we can be in Christ forever. We're not victims of the old Adam. We have the ability to untether from that gravity and choose to follow Jesus at some point in our life. The second, second implication of this, if we are children of the new Adam, Jesus, then we aren't who we were. I don't know what your, I don't know what your embarrassing bad habit is. I don't know what your sinful sort of thing that you do that you feel shame about. Uh, I've got a few. The one that seems to get me the most at this phase in life is when I'm not a good dad or a good husband. I know those moments when that falls on me. It's really embarrassing and shameful and I don't want anybody to know about it, you know. Uh, That's not, like how I performed this week as a father or a husband or a Christian or a human being or as a resident of Charlestown or as a person driving a car in Boston is not who I am. That's not who I am. I am a son of the new Adam. And I am not, we aren't who we were. We're not who our parents were. Sometimes my dad's crazy, and he had a lot of crazy. Like, he had a lot of crazy. Sometimes it feels like I can't escape some of the crazy that I came to live under because of my dad. I'm not, that's not who I am. I'm not who my dad was. I'm not who my mom was. I'm not who my mom is. She's awesome. But God's not, God, God doesn't have grandchildren. Like God doesn't look at my mom and say, well, JD, you get to be part of the family because your mom's an awesome Christian, right? That's not how it works. God has children, no grandchildren. Uh, I am not, uh, I'm not what I've done. You're not what you've done in the past or maybe even in the present. And we're not how, we're, how we feel. How many of you, 
if you're honest, say, man, I feel like I am an awesome follower of Jesus all the time. Like, I have got this thing nailed down, and uh, if you need to know how to be a Christian, come follow me. I'm going to show you I got it locked down. None of us would say that, right? We look at others and we say, man, you, you're an amazing follower of Christ. But nobody looks at yourself and says, now I'm an amazing follower of Christ. Like, we don't do that. We usually feel guilty and condemned. But remember, that's the old Adam. We're not guilty and we're not condemned. Now, because of the new Adam, we are who God says we are. Every February 12th and multiple times during the year, my brother looks at my nephew Hunter and says, you used to have a different mom and you were not going to know who your dad was and you were going to grow up in addiction and you were going to grow up in poverty. He tells him this as much as a seven-year-old can get it, right? And he says, but on February the 12th, 2013, you got a new mom and dad and they have new resources and you have a new destiny and your story is going to be different because now you're my child and not somebody else's child. And guys, that's what it means to be part of God's family. He looks at us and says, we are his and we have resources we couldn't. So peace with God is based on something God did, not how we feel. And then the one more, two more things I want to share with you. When you feel conflicted as a Christian, do you ever feel like the old Adam and the new Adam are having a tug of war in your heart? Do you ever feel like the old Adam, like, I want to do this. I want to spend my time this way. I want to spend my money this way. I want to yell at this person. I want to ignore this person. And, and then there's this other part. You know, it's the classic, like, little devil and angel on the shoulders, right? And then the new Adam, the little angel on the shoulders, like, no, but you should be nice. You should speak to that person. You should be generous. All of those things. Like there's this tug of war going on between us. When you feel conflicted, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to rest in grace. Not to try harder. Not to try harder. My nephew Hunter has never made an art project and given it to his mom and dad and said, now this is a sweet piece of art. I'm going to need to submit this to the refrigerator and this is going to pay my rent for the next month. And it's going to be a little down payment on my college fund. This is some sweet art. But man, that's what I do as a Christian sometimes. God, like, look, I'm going to pray or I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be nice to this person who gets on my nerves. Or I'm not going to honk my horn in traffic. But I'm going to let the person turn across a lane of traffic. I hate that in Massachusetts. Like, we let people do this weird left turn. I don't understand where that comes from. Like, we're going to do those. And then we're like, God, like little cheap refrigerator art. God, I'm going to let you put this on your fridge. for. I'm going to save this for a rainy day when I'm in trouble. And I curse someone out. And I need some sort of spiritual collateral, right? Like, it doesn't work like that. When we feel conflicted, we rest in grace. We don't try harder and we don't have to punish ourselves, remembering that the old Adam has lost and the new Adam has won. The new Adam is winning and the new Adam will win. Last week, a couple of these guys checked a card, checked their communication card at the end, and, and some of them said, man, I want to know how to become a follower of Jesus. I want to know how to take a next step. I think God in heaven says, he stops everything. He says, man, let's just relax for a minute. Let's throw a party for what's happening in these people's lives. When Owen and Scott and Carson and Renee and Justin and Noah have gotten baptized, I think all heaven stops. And God says, let's just celebrate 
that the new Adam is beating the old Adam. And there will come a day where he wins completely in our lives. What I gain in Christ, I think this is a slide, if you'll pull this one up. There it is. What I gain in Christ is more than I lost in Adam. If you remember anything today, get that. What we gain as Christians in Jesus is more than we ever lost in Adam. And then finally, the last thing, we partner with the new Adam. We partner with Jesus to put old, all traces of the old Adam to death. Again, I'm a Narnia. I love Narnia. They're great children's stories. We read them to our kids. In the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which I think is the fifth story, the main kids uh, have a cousin, Eustace, who is a total butthead. He is just a jerk. He is selfish. He's just annoying. And ultimately in the story, spoiler alert, the uh, Eustace book is made into a dragon. And nobody knows who he is. And basically the dragon on the outside is a reflection of what his heart was like on the inside. And he's trying to get back to normal and he can't do it. And so in a moment, Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, finds Eustace, the dragon. And they're having this conversation. And, and Aslan says, begin to scratch the scales off and come back to being a boy. And so very painfully, Eustace, the dragon, begins to scratch the scales off. And the scales of this dragon are coming off, but they, every time they would come off, it was like more scales would be there on Eustace's dragon body. And finally, Aslan says, now lay down and be still, and I'm going to cut the dragon away. And the book says that Aslan the lion comes with his lion paws and lion claws and begins to cut Eustace and cut into the dragon. And Eustace the dragon thinks he's going to die because it's so painful. But eventually Aslan cuts the dragon away, cuts the dragon away, cuts the dragon away. And there's Eustace, fresh as a newborn baby, laying there back to his old self. And all the dragon exterior being gone is a, uh, also his cause because Aslan has now touched him, all the dragon interior to be gone. And Eustace is no longer a brat. He becomes brave and heroic and does all of these things. In our lives, we partner with the new Adam as Jesus begins to cut away what is dragon-like, we let him do it and we partner with him. We lay still as Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, by his word, by the church, by grace, begins to cut away the dragon. We let him do it. And some of it is very painful. But when he cuts away what is dragon-like, we become more of the new Adam and everything he intended for us to be. So three questions. One, what was your gotcha day spiritually? Like my nephew was adopted, can you remember roughly the day that uh, you were born again or the season of life where God changed your story and you became part of his family, your second birth date? If that's never happened for you, I think today would be an amazing day for you to do that. Uh, second question, do you, struggle to, uh, do you struggle more to believe that you are who God says you are? Like with Wayne and Mark and I, do you struggle to believe when God says not guilty, do you struggle to believe that you are in fact not guilty? Or do you struggle to become who God freed you to become? Sometimes are you like Eustace the dragon and God is like, I'm going to cut away that dragon. And you're like, I don't really want to do that, God. That's going to be painful. And you're fighting God as he makes you more into who he wants you to be. The Bible calls that fighting the good fight and putting sin to death. And I want to encourage us Christians to do that. I want to encourage you, maybe in your Bible, as a way of 
Like, if you're going to do something today, my Bible's almost falling apart. But if you've, if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you, maybe right here on like the inner page, to write down when your spiritual gotcha day was or season. You might be able to say, oh, it's August 13th, 1987. Or you might say, it was the fall of 2017. Or you might say, I looked up around April 15th, tax day, uh, 2019, and realized that I was actually a Christian. You might write the day you got baptized in there. But write down somewhere visibly the day that you, that God got you. If you know the exact day and place, that would even be better. And if you don't know when it is, if you don't know when it is that you became God's, part of God's family, I would encourage you today to do that. And if you don't own a Bible, just take one of the paper ones and on the inside, fold of the paper, write today down on there. September 22nd, 2019, I gave up being part of the family of the old Adam and became part of the family of the new Adam. And then finally, I want to just encourage you to be here next week and invite a friend, a neighbor, a teammate, a classmate as we talk about what it's going to look like as all of us begin to live out that new Adam identity together. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll receive communion here in a moment.